Hello, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, by my colleague Dave Matter, who is stationed in the Columbia Bureau and was preparing to head out on the road to cover Missouri at LSU. Um, now it's just another home game, Dave. Take us uh, through the latest. We'll get into that as this LSU-Missouri game shifts to Columbia, not for COVID reasons, but a hurricane. Well, we're we're going to dive into that. We're going to break down Missouri's loss at uh, Tennessee and uh, and figure out what happened there, what we can take away from it. Connor Bay's uh, kind of emerging as the quarterback for Mizzou, get into some of the things we saw there, and also look ahead at this LSU game. Dave, let's start out by talking about the schedule, how it's changing. Um, this is showing kind of, I guess, how versatile colleges have become during this crazy 2020, but it's not COVID that has an impact on Missouri's first game of the season that, that will uh, have a change. It's, it's a, a hurricane. Right, right. And uh, so, yeah, so this game is, was supposed to kick off at 8 p.m. Saturday night in Baton Rouge Tiger Stadium. Instead, it's going to be 11 a.m. in Columbia, Missouri. So um, I, I give both schools credit for getting this done really quickly. They didn't want to let this linger during the week. You know, the forecast for uh, Hurricane Delta is not looking very good. It's supposed to hit the Gulf Coast Friday and Saturday. Um, you know, it went from a tropical storm to a Category 4 hurricane on Tuesday. And you, you can't just wait it out until Thursday or Friday to see what happens and if the forecast changes. I mean, there's so much involved logistically to get a football team from one part of the country to another. Hotel rooms, charter flights, all of that stuff, practice times. You got to make a decision pretty swiftly. And th- these schools came together. Uh, they started talking on Monday. Then things really heated up on Tuesday to the point where uh, LSU's director of football operations called Missouri's director of football operations Tuesday night and said, hey, where do you think we could get some hotel rooms? Because we're, we're coming. So that's what happened. And uh, Missouri went ahead and canceled its flights, canceled its rooms, and they were able to work everything out. Now, they're still, as we record this, they're still having to work out some of the logistics with revenue. Uh, LSU will make some money off, off the ticket sales for this game, even though Missouri fans now get to go to the game, or at least some fans get to. So that also has to be worked out. But this we've seen before, this has been a kind of a contentious process when schools have um, argued over these things and, and um, left some hurt feelings, but not this time. I mean, Mizzou has said LSU was great to work with. What they wanted to do was – now, both schools have an, the same open dates. November 7th, they have a bye. And then everybody has a bye the week before the SEC championship game. But those are built in for COVID reasons. And neither school wanted to use one of those dates for, you know, for this purpose, um, especially LSU, because their open date, November 7th, is a week before they play Alabama. And Alabama always gets a buy before LSU, so LSU wants a buy before Alabama. So that yeah. makes sense. So they were able to work this out in, in really less than a day to, to, to figure out logistics to get LSU here instead of Missouri making the trip. Yeah, I think it does show how nimble some of these college football leaders are becoming because usually yeah. it's like if you give an inch, then it's a, it's a civil war over, over some, some sort of concession given. Um, and, and they're all kind of, uh, you know, they're all kind of playing a little faster and looser now when it comes to these games. They want to get them in. Right. And, and it, it's, it's the most 2020 thing ever that you say, no, we don't want to move that game to that weekend because we need to keep that game open in case we have to reschedule for coronavirus. So we actually have to find right. another way to play to dodge this hurricane. That's, right. that, is, that is 2020. But 
Okay, so the game will be at 11 a.m. on Saturday. What does that mean for Mizzou fans who want to go to this game? Of course, Missouri is doing about 11,000 fans in the stadium. Can they, uh, can they get tickets? Can they get in there? Yeah, season ticket holders who have the tickets to all the other home games, um, they will get first crack at this. Mizzou even already uploaded tickets on their, on their online accounts. They just have to claim them. Um, now, if, they, if whatever is not claimed by, by uh, Thursday afternoon, those will go on sale to the public on Friday. So this is really the only chance all season, unless crazy stuff happens down the road, that Missouri fans will be able to buy tickets, individual game tickets, um, being sold to the public all season. And Mizzou does anticipate some of that happening just because this is happening so last minute. Uh, they are going to allow another um, – the students, just they're going to cap that at about 1,000, which is what it was for the Alabama game. Capacity overall for the stadium is going to be the same, right around 11,700. All the same rules are in effect, no tailgating. Um, you know, people have to stay in their zones. Uh, pretty much everything that was the same for the Alabama game. Well, what is kind of interesting, this might be inside baseball behind the scenes stuff, this was never supposed to be a home weekend for Missouri. Initially, this was the same weekend they were supposed to go to BYU. So these next few days, Missouri is going to have to work really hard to get the, everybody involved. Think of all those employees who are at, have to work games, from security to the chain gang to concession workers. They were never on, on the schedule to be in Columbia uh, or be at the stadium for this game. So they are having to hustle to, to pull this off and make it possible. I wonder if LSU could have even got the hotels that needed if this was uh, initially – if this wasn't a, a year where people weren't going to games. Right. It just uh, – it's crazy how a college football team can descend upon <laughs> a city with, uh, with, with day's notice and have there be enough hotel rooms. But that's right. another sign of the times here. Um, and people wonder, why is it 11 a.m.? It's 11 a.m. so LSU can get back to Baton Rouge and not to fly at night during a, a hurricane. So that's why it's 11 a.m. Not really sure why the Missouri fans are complaining about that, considering very few are going can go to the games anyway. You just sit, roll right. out of bed and keep your keep your pajamas on and sit down on the couch and watch the football game. But uh, so that's kind of the details on the game as of where it relates Saturday. What about LSU, Dave? This is a, an interesting team. They've lost Joe Burrow. They've lost Joe Brady, who revolutionized their offense. They've lost so many performers from last year's national championship team. And we saw that in week one where they get stunned by Mississippi State. And you go, oh, my gosh, Mississippi State is this great team. No one saw it coming, though. Mississippi State loses at Arkansas. Shout out Barry Odom's defense. And uh, now all of a sudden people don't know what to make of LSU. LSU goes and just pulverizes poor Vanderbilt. Um, What is going on with this LSU football team? Clearly probably not as good as it was last year, but uh, still a defending national champion that wants to prove that that Mississippi State loss was a fluke. Yeah, it's essentially a completely new team. I think they have 18 new starters. And now the three guys that are back, they've got a really good receiver. Um, they've got the best cornerback in the country, Derek Stingley Jr., who didn't play in the Mississippi State game. He was sick. Not COVID, but he was sick. Uh, so he, maybe he makes a difference. Probably doesn't you know, stop 600-plus yards from um, you know, being completed that night. But he's arguably the best defensive player in the SEC. They've got a, a safety who's played a lot for them. Otherwise, everybody else is new, new starters. Now, Ed Orgeron has recruited really well. I mean, we're talking like top five classes the last few years. So he's not bringing in a, a bunch of you know, two-star schlubs that are uh, you know, trying to, to make the, uh, 
the, the team there. These are, these are elite athletes. They just haven't played much together. And, and they have new coordinators in place, too. We have Bo Pelini has taken over as a defensive coordinator. Missouri fans know his name pretty well. Um, I, think Bo, new I think that's Bo bleeping Pelini to anyone who knew. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> St. Louis fans will recognize LSU's new passing game coordinator who replaced Joe Brady. It won Scott Linehan. So he is uh, not necessarily the coordinator, but he's the passing game coordinator and works with uh, the quarterbacks. So, um, so yeah, a lot of new pieces there. And, you know, as, as unstoppable as they were a year ago going 15-0, and 0, um, I, I think it was natural to expect some bumps in the road this year. I, I frankly, I thought they were a little overrated, you know, whatever they were in the preseason. I think they were like sixth or seventh. And just with so many new faces coming in, um, you, it, you, you've got to take a little bit of a step backward when you lose the Heisman Trophy winner. I don't care who's replacing him. Um, and when you lose Joe Brady, when you lose all the – I mean, they had 15, 14, I think 14 draft picks, which tied the NFL draft record for one wow. school. You just, you just don't turn the page that easily. Even, I mean, even Alabama has years where they're still really good, but maybe they're not as elite as they were a year ago when they lose all that talent. We'll shift the view now to, to Missouri. But first, we want to tell you a, a word from our sponsor. Okay, Dave, what's the takeaway, the biggest takeaway for you from Mizzou's 35-12 to 12 loss at Tennessee? I think folks were, were hoping it might be a little closer of a game because of how, you know, Missouri was able to do some good things against Alabama. We saw the, the, the line play really, I think, uh, take a toll on – on Missouri, but the silver lining, if there was one, was Connor Bazelak, who kind of emerges from this quarterback competition. Goes 13 for 21. He did throw a pick, um, but he picked up 218 yards and just kind of looked like the more SEC-ready quarterback compared to, to Sean Robinson. Um, what, what were you thinking about as you were leaving Knoxville to head back to Columbia after that loss? I thought if these two games were reversed and the score was the same and the way it was played was the same, we'd feel a little bit different about this this Missouri team right now, because I, I just thought they took a step backwards in a lot of areas. Uh, they weren't, they weren't terrible at, at one area except for catching the ball. But man, I just didn't think they were as good up front. I didn't think they tackled as well. Um, other than Basilak and Larry Roundtree, I just, I didn't think that they had that kind of commanding presence on offense at all. And, and defensively, I just was, I think it was kind of disappointing. You know, they, they just let, Tennessee dictate the game on the line of scrimmage and they didn't do anything flashy. They just handed it off to their two running backs for the most part. Um, Jarrett Garantano just made the plays he needed to make the receivers, you know, got open and made a few big third down conversions, but you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the aerial show that Alabama put on display. They just, when Tennessee needed a yard, they got a yard. And that, that was the difference. I just, I never thought that Missouri's defensive line, ever stood up and took over a series or, or took over a sequence of that game. And they kind of got pushed around. Um, I, they, it was – Bazelak gave him a spark for sure. He looked the part, like you said. I'm so impressed with his uh, – the teammates talk about his calmness, but he's got some poise, man. They And he explained this yesterday. It was a pretty funny story. But they figured out, and then watching game film afterwards, there was one defender on Tennessee who was clapping. Um, while he was getting ready for the snap. And that's how Missouri snaps the ball. He claps, and then Mike Maietti, the center, snaps it to him. Well, somebody on Tennessee was trying to clap. Now, that is a penalty. Um, you cannot simulate the offense's cadence for starting the play. So one time, it's the, the snap. He wasn't looking 
for it yet. It's, it went past him, rolled behind him. Um, the Tennessee cornerback left his receiver and took off for the loose ball. Alert play on his part, even mo- but more alert was Bazelak, who just picked it up and threw it to the receiver who was left wide open, and it was a 28-yard gain. So I was really impressed with that. He, didn't, he doesn't freak out. The, the stage is not too big for him. Granted, there was only like 21,000 people there, but players did say it was a lot louder than they expected. They didn't think it, the, the environment would bother them. Maybe there was some artificial crowd noise that was getting to them or something. But I thought he showed a, a lot of uh, just resiliency and, and looked, just looked like he's played a lot more than he has. So I, I think that is a, is a big shot in the arm of this offense. And he pushes the ball downfield. I mean, it, he, he looks for those, those open receivers downfield, and he isn't afraid to um, – chuck it down there and he, he's got you know good enough strong enough arm for sure I mean he should have had an 86 yard touchdown pass he on the from the 14 he uncorks one to Dominic Jacinto who's got two receivers on but he's got a beat on him and just drops it otherwise he scores and who knows what happens then you mentioned the drops and that was a theme in this game even Jalen Knox who had, had a I thought a really good first week yeah. um, kind of got bit by the drops he's What's going on with that, and is that a one-game thing, or is that something that they're going to have we'll to, uh, to order a new new shipment of gloves or something? What's going on there? It's kind of widespread. I mean, Knox had two. They had six total. Uh, we've seen Dame Hazleton drop a few, um, you know, but he's also being targeted a lot. Um, you know, Jacinto had the one. Uh, Nico Hay, tight end, who's got more snaps than Daniel Parker, um, he dropped one. So, yeah, I mean, you it, at one point, like – other than the drops, Bazelak was almost perfect throwing the ball. Now, he had an interception late, but um, uh, Drinkwitz later said that that was the receiver's fault. They were supposed to run a certain route to pull a defender away. Instead, they didn't, and the defender was right there to pick off the pass. And who knows, That was they were knocking on the door of the red zone right there. Maybe that they score there, um, at least kick a field goal, maybe things unfold a little bit differently. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was not a good, good day for the receivers. Not just the receivers. It was, it was all over the place for those guys catching passes. Safe to say that if this defense is going to let SEC opponents, and they're all SEC opponents this year, yeah. score 35 a game, then they're not going to win very many games. I mean, the defense no. kind of has to be the, the strength of this team, especially in the first half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. They just, they're not, they're not creating, they're not wreaking in havoc out there. They're not doing anything to change plays. Now, there was one play where Nick Bolton nailed a guy, Martez Manuel picked up a fumble, ran it back. It looked like just the break they needed, but uh, Missouri was called for a penalty on the play and uh, and then it was even ruled an incomplete pass so it it went against them twice who knows if that that play goes differently maybe things go differently but they're just not creating their own fortune out there I did think it was interesting if you look at the snap counts afterwards Missouri is looking at younger guys up front Isaiah McGuire uh, sophomore defensive end uh, played more snaps than Chris Turner you know the veteran the three-year starter um Trey John Jeffcoat, who just comes in off the street after not playing all of last year, uh, he's playing that outside linebacker stand-up position. He got more, a lot more snaps than Trey Williams. So, it, you know, they're open to playing other guys than just the established, you know, front four up there. So uh, maybe we'll see a little bit more of that going forward. We should have mentioned this when we were talking about Connor Bazelak, but that's kind of my point there is play the guy with the highest ceiling and the, and the younger guy with the upside. I mean, that should be what Drinkwitz is – is all about as this season kind of tries to look to put his stamp on things. But it does make me wonder, what do you think the role is for Sean Robinson now? I mean, the guy transferred from TCU. He sits out a year. He gets game one start against Alabama, his first game in more than a calendar year. And now all of a sudden uh, he's, he's looking like he's number two. 
on the depth chart. Do you think Drinkwitz will continue to play them both back and forth, or do you think this is Connor Bazelak's show now? I'm kind of thinking it's it's Bazelak's show, unless he all of a sudden looks like a redshirt freshman and really starts to struggle. Um, but Robinson, I mean, Robinson did show against Alabama that he can move the ball around. He was really accurate in that game. We shouldn't forget that. But the offense looked just absolutely dysfunctional when he was in there for two series at Tennessee. His specialty is supposed to be a mobile guy that can run those read option plays. And those have gone backwards. They have not gotten anything out of those at all. He has not looked comfortable trying to throw the ball downfield at all. And uh, I don't know. Just He just he doesn't look like the guy that uh, Missouri probably thought it was getting. And he certainly didn't look like the guy this week who was pretty poised, showed some toughness, and, and, and hung in there against Alabama. So I don't know what's going on there. I'd, if you get behind in a game and Bazelak's still playing pretty well, I don't know why you would mess that up right now. At the same time, maybe you create a package for him, um, like a wild you can do some running stuff. But if if he can't run those plays, then it's what's the benefit? Yeah, well, maybe they should also switch to a verbal snap count too. I don't know that if you're going to yeah, that, things, that having a clap count is uh, is the way to the go <laughs> in the SEC. But uh, well, I'm not an offensive coordinator. Um, all right, Dave. Well, I'll be there with you Saturday, and we'll have it covered for stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post Dispatch for folks who are finding this podcast for the first time you can find it itunes google play music whatever you use for your podcast need just punch in eye on the tigers and we should pop up or you can just go to stltoday.com slash podcast dave we'll let you run we know you got plenty more to cover in the sec teleconferences going on today as well so keep up the good work good good news on the uh good good job getting the news on the this yes game saturday shifting to columbia and we'll have plenty more coverage coming this week for dave i'm ben we will talk to you next week 